everyone always has something to say relative to education. I think the fact that so many people have opinions and perspectives on the schools is wonderful. School districts are very complicated. I will tell you that assumptions get made and sometimes they're correct and many times they are not. And I want to help people understand. We are educating kids for their future, not our past. Hello everybody, welcome to Leading Education with Jeff Rose. I am Jeff and actually back from a bit of a hiatus. Over the past number of weeks, I have been focused. Uh, we recently had our first gathering of superintendent leaders from around the country and weeks prior to that time, I needed to put my head down and day-to-day -day grind preparing for that. So unfortunately, I did have to take our podcast and put it on the shelf just for a little bit, but I'm back, we're back. Carson Pace, our producer, editor, everything is shaking his head over there and we're excited. And in fact, the, the good news is jumping into this with a real exciting guest. And I'm actually not going to uh, preface as to why this guest is so important because that's going to be obvious. This is going to be a two-part series because the person we'll be talking with, and I'll introduce him here in a second, he and I are both talkers. So we are going to be challenged by creating an efficient conversation. So we will have to actually focus on how we keep our conversation only to two episodes. Um, but this person, uh, as well as myself, have a lot to say relative to this work of leading as educators, which is not just about education, but often it's about system, it's about politics, it's about a variety of things as it relates to moving large organizations that ultimately impact our true focus, which is kids, but there's more to kids than this work which is really the premise for this conversation. So um, I am in a minute going to introduce or at least read some bio information from Dr. Calvin Watts. So Calvin is with us. So Calvin, thanks for being on the show today. Jeff, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, uh, I am going to just read a few things about Calvin. Dr. Calvin Watts, he began serving as superintendent where he is now on June 15th, 2015 and he is in Kent, Washington. Now, he was selected many years ago or a few years ago based upon kind of his proven leadership record. He's a real strategic thinker. He has a strategic vision, a passion for educating students. His communication skills, as you will hear, are incredible. And his understanding of human resource and experience and a strong work ethic and his focus on team, consensus building, it, it truly makes a difference in all organizations he's led in. And 
he has led, um, and you'll see why this is so important, um, he's bi-coastal, right? So actually, formerly, prior, just prior to going back to his original and home state of Washington, he was here in Georgia with us in Gwinnett County Public Schools. And he, which Gwinnett County, as people in Georgia are aware, 13 largest school district in the U.S., largest in our state by far. And he was an integral part in leading a team with a district enrollment of approximately 180 students, these 180,000 students these days. And during his tenure there, he developed a reputation for excellence in K-12 district level leadership, turnaround, strategic planning, school improvement, and civic engagement. Now, Dr. Walks has served in diverse and politically attentive settings, including Seattle Public Schools, Atlanta Public Schools, Carrollton City Schools, and the Archdiocese in Atlanta. So uh, Calvin has, has been around, and you know he holds his bachelor degree from, uh, in English from Howard University and received his teaching certificate at Western Washington University. His master's degree in educational administration and supervision is from the University of West Georgia, and he earned a doctorate in educational leadership from Argosy University in Atlanta. Now, what's interesting about Calvin and I, because we know each other, is that we have had kind of this swip swap, right? Uh, we have moved a year uh, coming here to Atlanta. He was here in Atlanta and, of course, moved to Washington. And we knew each other prior to that, but... It just creates a really interesting discussion. And Calvin, you may not be aware of this, but I've had a number of guests on this show. You're my first superintendent. So oh. th that may sound strange. Like, how is it that, you know, as a superintendent, you're my first? It's because we focus on leadership topics. And my point that I've been making for a long period of time is that you don't have to be a superintendent to lead. We have leaders in our communities and who do incredible things at large and small scale that have a ripple impact that, that impact kids. And um, so uh, it's kind of an honor to have a fellow superintendent who's truly engaged in the work day to day in this current day on the show. So I really appreciate it. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, we started this discussion at 6.30 a.m. Calvin's time because once again, he's talking to us from Washington. So uh, welcome, Calvin. I really appreciate your presence today. Oh, Jeff, thank you. I uh, appreciate the kind words. And yes, this is that time. Uh, I call it the, uh, the paperwork opportunity right before the people work starts. So 630 is about the uh, normal start of the day for, for me. I appreciate you having me. You know, what's, what's interesting uh, about that is it, it's true, right? The, the superintendent day starts early and sometimes unfortunately ends late. Um, however, there is this piece at 6.30 in the morning in an office where you can actually get stuff done, right? And here you are being bothered by me. So it, uh, it is really appreciated, and I uh, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. So let's, let's start um, by talking about, you know, your, your experience a little bit. I, I read this bio, and by the way, I even had to redline some of the things I, I collected about you because it would have gone on forever. But you and I have done this interesting switcheroo, haven't we? So um, let's, why don't you talk to me about that? Why don't you talk to me about, you know, what it's been like to go 
from you know west coast to east to west and give me a little bit of your history as it relates to you know where you're born where you've lived and maybe we can kind of tell a few stories here and there absolutely you know i i tell you it uh, it is it's amazing to me how small this world is right eight billion people on this planet and i remember the time when we actually sat uh, next to each other and we're talking about your having the opportunity to uh to lead and relocate and uh, uh, you know, serve in, in Georgia, in the Atlanta metro area. And I was obviously you know, right in that, that same path a year prior to doing the exact opposite. So, so it began for me, I, I say this affectionately, that, that Washington State birthed me and, and literally uh, Georgia made me professionally. I, I was born in this state, uh, raised in a sleepy suburb called Bellevue. And I realized that uh, you know, the greatest leadership lessons that I've learned, uh, and I shared this with my previous uh, superintendent, J. Alvin Wilbanks, that uh, he was uh, honored and should be honored to win the silver medal in this case. And what I meant by that, he, he smiled as he, as he can and, and does. And uh, I said, this is not an insult in any way, shape, or form. What I share with him is that the greatest leadership lessons that I've learned uh, while I've lived on the face of this earth are, are are the lessons I learned from my parents. However, the second greatest leadership lessons I learned were certainly during my tenure uh, serving in Gwinnett County Public Schools from assistant principal to uh, assistant superintendent under uh, Jay Alvin's uh, leadership. My mom taught me servant leadership from day one. She was a school nurse in Seattle Public Schools and she used to drive me across the water uh, to my uh, elementary school experience. She taught me uh, first and foremost, that uh, in order for us to, to serve, truly serve people, we have to put ourselves in a position where we create conditions so that their quality of life will be better. Not just the relationships that we establish, but ultimately that their lives will be better. And that's why I believe she chose the medical field. I believe we, we, we were able to accomplish similar goals. I was just able to do that uh, and learn how to, uh, to effectively uh, improve the quality of lives of, of students, of families, of communities in public education. My dad worked for Coca-Cola Bellevue Bottling Company and he taught me the lesson of relationships and, uh, and equality and what he meant by that, the standard of equality, he said you treat each and every person you come into contact, no matter if that person's a CEO of a Fortune 500 company or if that person's uh, life conditions compel them to live in a homeless situation. You treat them the same, with the same respect. Uh, you greet them, uh, you care about them, and you, you help them in, in whatever way you can. And all of those lessons, Jeff, uh, you know, I, they crystallized into the, the myriad of experiences that I've had into three, I mean, those basic principles, treating others as not only they would want to be treated, but treating others as, as I would want to be treated and doing so in a way that they're gonna be better as a result. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's where it all began. You know, it's, it's interesting that when we talk about leadership from, let's just say a school district perspective, um, often there is an assumption that so much of that relies on the technical knowledge of what it takes to manage a very complex system.
because school districts are complex, right? There are many, many moving parts. It is not um, a business with a focus. It's a business with multiple focuses with, you know, the ultimate goal on impacting students. But as you know, there's transportation and food service and everything that, you know, comes with just managing and communicating with community. But in the meantime, all of the buildings and there's so much infrastructure. And yet... When it comes to leadership, often it really comes back to these values that we hold and try to uphold on a daily basis. No doubt, uh, no doubt. And, and you know, as you mentioned the values, uh, one of those values that, that my parents instilled in me was to seek uh, diverse opportunities, to travel, to, to read, to enjoy uh, learning something new, whether it's a hobby or, or meeting new people. And as an only child, I, I call my parents a, a visionary because they knew that, that as an only child, it was highly likely that I would not uh, be in a situation where I would, I would be the only person at the table. And so those lessons that they taught me, whether it's uh, playing on, on a team sport or, or debate team or, or serving in a, you know, in a, in a club in, in school or leadership uh, at, at church, all of those lessons, I look back, it was so purposeful uh, and, and done in a loving way, right? This is, this is going to benefit uh, you. That was their, their uh, voice and, and vision. And it led me to, to saying that, that Seattle is a great place for me to grow up. And I said this when I, I came back uh, from Howard University as a graduate and began my teaching career in Seattle Public Schools. And, and I shared with my students that I was going to be uh, leaving and, and not going to be their teacher the next year. And they said, well, Mr. Watts, we know that. We're going to be in seventh grade. And I said, oh, that didn't come out real well. I said, what I meant is that I'm actually going to be relocating to Atlanta. And this was in 1994. And the tears flowed, and they said three, three very poignant questions. The first was, was what? <laughs> and the second question was why? And the third question was where's Atlanta? And so... I had to share with them, uh, and I had buyer's remorse. I will be, I will be very uh, clear. I, I was not sold after I had that emotional response from my students. And, and, a, and a, a colleague said to me that uh, you said this was your life, life dream. You wanted to relocate. Your friends and, and uh, colleagues from, from Howard said they'd love for you to, to come to Hotlanta. And this was, uh, I was, I was single at the time, and, and the world was was waiting for me, or so I, I expected, and. And he told me, he said, this is something that you've been planning for. And yes, it is true that your students have benefited from you as, a, as their teacher, and it is clear that you have clearly benefited from, from them as, uh, as, as students who have, who have grown and have taught you how to be a better person, a better teacher. Uh, but he held his, his arms out wide. If you can envision just spreading your arms and holding your hands open. And he said, no matter where you go, Calvin, he said, the children everywhere will need you. And, and so go forth. And I never looked back until 21 years later uh, when I had the opportunity to come back. And so uh, that was just an amazing experience. Uh, I began my teaching career in Georgia in Atlanta public schools, coached soccer at Grady High School. Uh, and my wife will say that the best professional move I ever made was when I had the opportunity to serve and teach in Carrollton City Schools. That's where I met her uh, and, and served in the, uh, the Archdiocese of Atlanta as a building administrator and then was recruited by 
uh, Gwinnett County Public Schools to serve, as I've mentioned, as uh, assistant principal was my first role in uh, the district uh, and served uh, to toward an assistant superintendency uh, for 21 years in the state of Georgia, 13 of which uh, were, were served in, in Gwinnett. And in 2015, that's when I had the opportunity to come back uh, to my birth state to lead in my current role. You know, so ladies and gentlemen, I mentioned before, this is going to be a, a two-part episode um, and the the second part uh, the second part of our podcast we're we're gonna switch gears and we're gonna talk about um, Kent School District there have been a variety of things that um, have occurred over Calvin's time in Kent and I want to unpack those and then we're also gonna kind of move or morph into some of the cultural differences uh, that are really important for leaders to consider, know how to navigate and support students amidst and the cultural differences of, say, Georgia compared to the Northwest. So we're going to go further into that because it's a really, really important topic. But I am going to ask Calvin um, uh, about a recent experience because Calvin and I, we have known each other for a while, but we were actually face-to-face -face with one another last week. And this is actually not a commercial, but um, I have started this organization called Leading Ed Solutions, and it really has a very strong why. I'll mention that very quickly, and then we'll kind of delve into Calvin's perspective on our experience together. But the why basically is, as I've mentioned on this podcast, I think that leadership, the superintendency, can be extremely, not can be, is extremely isolating it just is i think it's unfortunately it's almost designed that way and um what i have told people is that's not going to change i mean the just the overall governance structural structure and the politics of what it takes to actually become a superintendent but also um manage and lead from that seat it's just isolating. So say the serenity prayer and get over it, but it is a problem. And what I think is another problem is while every single school district has their own nuanced challenges based upon the needs of their community, I also think that every school district has some very common problems, small, medium, and large across the country and beyond. And problem number two beyond the isolation is I think there is a better way to support top leaders in an organization beyond the traditional process, beyond um, conferences, whether they're subpar or fantastic. And so Leading Ed Solutions has been created to um, create this community of superintendents that truly take a problem of practice, uh, dive deep into the pragmatic leadership strategies aligned to not just honoring best practice and research, but how you lead it. And so Calvin was with us in Scottsdale uh, last week as we were with 20 plus districts from across the country in our inaugural gathering. And we were in an incredible setting, but what was most impressive to me, and of course I'm biased, and that's where Calvin can potentially strip me straight if I'm wrong. What was incredible is we saw leaders um, just truly deprivatize their practice 
and roll up their sleeves and lean in as we put a problem in the middle of the table and ask our leaders to circle up and help one another. And so um, let's start with this. You know, the premise, Calvin, of um, the why relative to the isolation of the leadership position whether that be when you were in a variety of the positions you've mentioned before, or even in Kent. Um, talk to me about that. Uh, what, what has been your experience as it relates to, you know, being in that seat and having people all the time around you and yet knowing you're isolated to some degree? Yes, that, that is a, that's a question that I appreciate you're asking and, and one that I grapple with uh, on a daily basis, and I, I think part of that is because of my own personal experience as an only child, where I was really compelled, forced to solve problems on my own most of the time until I was in a team setting, and, and dare I say that's where uh, some of my leadership uh, opportunities and learning came from. But I, I know this just as, as the opportunity that, uh, that you provided and the team provided with Leading Ed Solutions, Jeff. One comment uh, that's in, in your, uh, your information that was sent to us, uh, it struck me and it said that, that we shouldn't do this work, I'm paraphrasing, but leaders should not uh, lead by themselves. You can't do this work alone and there's no truer words uh, you know, in this, this work. And so coming to, to Kent School District, the, the fifth largest and fourth uh, most diverse school district in the the state of, of Washington. Uh, I, I share with people affectionately and, and quite seriously that my wife and I have 27,000 children. We have one of whom who actually lives with us who we claim on our taxes. Uh, but that's how seriously I do take this role and knowing that that leadership does matter and, and the fact that when I came uh, back home, returned to the place where I was born, one thing that I noticed that truly struck me about what leadership would, would need to take place in order for us to move Kent School District forward is first to listen. Uh, I you know, created a, a three and a half month uh, strategic plan uh, called an entry plan. And that plan was uniquely designed, purposely designed to gather as much information as Covey says, to seek first to understand. I asked 12 research-based questions, some of which we're about Kent, tell me what you love about it, tell me where our pain points are, and then I ask questions about uh, individuals uh, and of individuals, our board members, students, uh, K-12 organizations, staff members, building administrators, the, the broad spectrum of people who are leading uh, and co-leading uh, in various roles. And I learned a great deal. I learned that first and foremost, uh, what people appreciated most about Kent the top two responses, and this was literally five years ago, and it still rings true today, the top two, number one being the rich diversity, uh, and that is the, the truest sense of, from linguistic diversity to racial, eth ethnic diversity, to socioeconomic, to geographic diversity. And second was the, uh, the rich technology uh, that, uh, that was supported by initiatives and uh, levies uh, that were supported by our, our voters in our, our community to increase access to uh, technological supports and one-to-one -one initiatives uh, and devices so that our students 
could learn and achieve at higher levels. That leadership uh, took took courage, and and I'll begin talking about another type of courage that that was um, drawn out of me when an operational challenge showed up, one that occurred literally five years before I arrived. Uh, but the operational leadership, while my focus has always been and will always be on teaching and learning, as you've talked about, uh, it's our students and their performance that is the core of our business. Uh, I've, I've heard this and I've repeated this from time to time. The instructional leadership of this role of the superintendency will, will often get you hired, but it's the operational leadership and the ineffective aspects of those uh, operational issues that can get you fired. And this is the courageous leadership that occurred when we had a, um, a structural budget deficit that was running uh, since 2011. We were spending $10 million more per year than our revenue stream supported. And through uh, well-intended investments, Jeff, uh, no one would deny the programs or the salaries or the, uh, you know, the investments that we made in our people. No one would argue that they were, were good for the organization. Unfortunately, they were just not sustainable. And we had to lead uh, in a way that, uh, that caused some pain points. And that's a part of leadership. We also had to communicate effectively. We had to establish a strategic vision and, and set a plan in motion with, uh, with goals in mind. And all of those aspects of leadership that we read about, we hear about, we've lived them in Kent and we are uh, experiencing greater success. Certainly has not been easy, uh, but we're doing that because of the, le the lessons that you and I talked about, the lessons that my parents uh, shared, the lessons that I've learned along the way that I will continue to learn. And I'm glad I'm, I have the opportunity just to share a few. You know, Calvin, isn't it interesting that um, even when a, a leader engages the way you did, which is, you know, start with a kind of a listening ear to understand the, the culture, the opportunities, the strengths, the pain points of a community, and most specifically their students, um, and we also learn that to make progress, you have to create some change and you have to take some risk. Um, in the meantime, it's interesting, don't you think, that from a superintendent's perspective, even if your job is to walk into a room, create the discussion and listen so that you can understand how to lead wisely, isn't it interesting that you are still expected to own every room? Every room you walk into as a superintendent or assistant superintendent, whatever that may be, eyes move to the leader and there's curiosity because there is an expectation that you own and lead that room. Um, what was your experience, say, last week when we gathered our superintendents in Scottsdale and asked ourselves, let's not try to own this room? because if everyone tries to own this room, we're not gonna make a whole lot of progress. And the fact is, our job last week was to learn from one another, support one another, because we have been asking, let's not lead alone. And that means two different things. One, when you're in the district, of course, you don't lead alone. And if you do, you know, you'll eventually turn around and realize no one's following you. 
but as it relates to working with other leaders who experience the same day-to-day challenge and success that you are in Kent, what was some of your takeaways sitting around a table in that pragmatic discussion that, um, that we experienced? Oh, thank you. I, again, I'm still having conversations with, uh, with colleagues uh, about that experience, even with um, family. The, uh, the first, I think the first and most important aspect of, of being in the room with, uh, with leaders in this work is that the space and place and the conditions were set for us to, uh, to lead together to understand that the A, that these are problems that we are all grappling with. And, and so I appreciate the strategic focus of, of two, uh, two areas of focus. And we talked about safety of students, both physical and mental, uh, social, emotional. There's no school, there's no organization, there's no family unit that, that doesn't grapple with this work. And so, so we were first identified with one common problem, not necessarily to solve, most importantly to discuss. And, and each one of us has a unique perspective. And what I, what I think I valued most, Jeff, from that experience was the fact that, that you preface it with, with as leaders we are expected to, to know everything, uh, to respond in the perfect way, and we know that that's not always going to be the case. But it, there is a, a, you know, a strategy and a protocol uh, that allowed us to step away from our roles as know-it-alls and to become learners and listeners. And so I want to give credit where credit is due for the way which you and your team established and planned for uh, to direct our behaviors. And that's what protocols do. They help us get out of our own way and, and communicate in a way that will allow us to get closer to, uh, to a solution that we're all seeking. And I, I appreciated that in so many ways as a, as a person who provided you know, uh, suggestions um, or, or probed with questions or, uh, or asked clarifying questions. And then to be the person who was actually seeking a solution and literally we were asked to turn away from the group so we could focus solely on what was being heard and, and truly focus on listening. All of those are principles, characteristics of leadership that we don't necessarily practice uh, but those protocols helped in that way, and I, I think uh, it allowed us to show up just as human beings in this work. Uh, roles aside, uh, I think we got a, a great deal closer to solving some of those problems, or at least uh, considering some solutions that we hadn't thought of before. So, uh, for that, I appreciate it. You know, what's interesting to me is that uh, while I, I definitely appreciate the, the compliment as it relates to the conditions that were set, I, as an observer, in the room, I appreciated just the fact that I don't think it was just the protocols. I, I actually think it, were, it was the leaders. I, I watched um, leaders behave in a way that I typically have not seen in some of those kind of traditional spaces, right? When you gather leaders together, I watched last week some, some behaviors that were contrary to what I experienced and I think it really had to do with the leaders in the room. I think that we were very selective and very strategic in trying to find leaders throughout the country that could come together for our first gathering that I believed would humble themselves and roll up their sleeves 
and be committed to not just their success so that they can be more effective in their district, but the success of those sitting around the table with them. So um, to me, I really think it had to do too with the quality of leaders and Calvin, you would know, it's because I called you up, right? I said, hey, Calvin, I really want you on this group. And you weren't the only one, but it's because I think we just had some really deep thinking, strategic, but also humble leaders around the table. Am I, am I just fantasizing here, Calvin? I mean, feel free to tell me. And by the way, if you do, I'll just probably cut, cut out the answer anyway. So that, that, that's a joke. But, I would expect that. Yeah, and, so I mean, so, am I wrong know, on that? We talked about that, though. Isn't that, that's, that's kind of uh, one of our topics of discussion during the session, you know, the I versus the we, that we are conditioned as leaders to, to be inclusive for a good reason. And, and we fail oftentimes to, to say, this is what I believe for fear that someone will say, well, this person is only uh, trying to, uh, to make themselves uh, or elevate themselves in the room. And, and I saw, to, to, to your point, I saw exactly the same thing that you're describing. And I think uh, I, you know, I looked at some of the conditions that, that may have led to that. And you know more about those leaders uh, prior to, to my being there than, than I do. I had a great opportunity to, to learn and listen learn from and listen to, but I couldn't agree more. Uh, part of uh, the notion of, of every strength overutilized can also become a liability. That notion of humility, and, and that's part of our, our work, to, to be humble, to, you know, to eat last, to, to do all of those things that, that all great leaders are supposed to do. At some point in time, how do we get better? And I think this is where, where I was most impressed. Uh, if we don't take the time just to, to slow down, to trust that leaders we've developed in our homes uh, and our places of work, that they will, will continue the work while we're gone in our absence so that we can fill those buckets, so that we can uh, engage in this thoughtful, uh, high-quality discourse with, with like-minded leaders who are from all points uh, on, on this, in this country. I just thought it, it was an absolute joy and I was able to, to breathe, right? And, and to, to listen and to learn and not be, uh, honestly, of course, I was always thinking about the work, but not let that overshadow what the focus of our, uh, our opportunity, which is to be better leaders uh, for, for our students, for our families, uh, and for the, the staff that, that we serve and who are serving uh, you know, the same, same individual. So again, I. I I couldn't agree more, and I, I appreciate and humbled by the fact that uh, that you did give me a call, and uh, you know our, our conditions that uh, that led to some of our earlier discussions. Uh, but I am I'm looking forward to uh, the next the next session just just because of of the first. You know, isn't it funny that uh, most leaders either refer to or have read "Start with Why," "Start with Why," right, by Simon Sinek, and. We talk about it all the time. So what's the why, right? What's our why? It's interesting that we talk about that and then we just skip right beyond it, right? We don't, we don't spend time delving into what I think are sometimes the why and the how. We spend so much time on the what. And the what's important, right? And in our world, as leaders, you look at research and best practice and 
um, everything that we've learned as it relates to a particular topic or leadership strategies. And we, we often spent all of this time, even though we preach that we should talk more about the why, but we never spend time doing it. And so having leaders around the table to say, when we talk about safety of students, social emotional safety of students, for example, can we just take a breath and talk about why and then how and less about what? What's important? But that was also interesting to, to watch you and others spend time kind of unpacking the why and the how as opposed to 80% on the what. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And it's necessary. No. That's why I do, I do give credit to, uh, you know, because it's not natural. We've been, we've been uh, conditioned, right, to, to go straight to the answer because we're all achievers, right? We know the, the solution. And in fact, uh, unless we practice through, through the protocols or through uh, leadership development opportunities, uh, that muscle memory just doesn't happen by accident. And so that's why I, I applaud the, the uh, systems that were in place at, you know, at the session for, for that to occur because it's already happening, just so you know, uh, it's already happening here in Kent as a result. Uh, those same questions, those same strategies. Can, so, you tell, can you tell me more about Kent as it relates to um, that topic, right? So let's talk about safety, physical and social emotional safety of students. Um, can you provide a little bit of narrative uh, around that topic as well as maybe some of the work that you're either challenged by or feeling very proud of, but aligned to that topic. And I have more questions about, uh, about Kent specifically as we continue the conversation, but let's focus it just for a minute on safety, student safety, physical, social, emotional. Why has that been or is that important for you in your current environment? Well, I think it starts and, and ends with the fact that we are, whether we're parents or not, by law we are uh, all of our children's parents when they arrive on our school campuses. We are, are literally uh, responsible for, in our case, 27,000 human beings and the adults who serve them. So I take that very seriously as a parent. Uh, and, and as we, we think about safety, physical safety, uh, social, emotional, mental health safety, most, what I've learned is that when we talk about the word safety, we're having this conversation in you know, in our informational campaigns for our upcoming levy and, and knowing that, that our families and our community care most about student safety. And when you hear uh, from you know, maybe news media or, or uh, individuals who are in, in, in government positions, they may think about safety in a very different way. Safety as in physical safety from harm, from outside uh, sources. Uh, when you think about this from a teacher perspective or a family perspective, you think about safety from a social emotional, from a mental health, from um, bullying issues, if you will, or whether it's physical or, or, uh, or otherwise. And in Kent, before I arrived, there was a strong emphasis, and I certainly continue that emphasis, on maintaining a, a safe and secure environment for students and staff to learn and achieve at higher levels. That's, that, is, that is our message. That is our why. Uh, the reality is we have spent a great deal of resources on making sure that our facilities are safe, safe from outside harm, safe from internal uh, harm uh, 
to others by others in, in, in our facilities. What we've uh, presently struggled with, and I, I see uh, there was a need, and, and it showed up early on in my tenure, that while students were communicating what they believed, and, and I, I know this to be true, that every behavior, whether it's students or, or adults, every behavior communicates a need. And if we're not paying attention to that, we can, we can try and uh, drum up a solution or arrive at, at our next program that may not be getting at the true why. And so if we don't listen, if we don't create restorative uh, practices to restore the relationships, to actually heal, uh, as opposed to beginning to, to help solve a problem, uh, we're gonna be behind uh, in, our, in our strategy. So one example, while we do, and I shared this during the session, we do have uh, industry standard uh, you know, examples of, of you know, cameras and uh, locks and systems and structures that protect our children and the adults in our, in our facilities. I think we are, we're doing well in that area. Uh, the challenge, of course, is how do we establish the relationships and the systems from a relational standpoint to make sure that we're, we, we are focusing on the care and the feeding, uh, literally and figuratively, of our, of our students and staff. One example that showed me that we were not uh, where we needed to be was earlier in my, my tenure, and we had adults who shared with us uh, in meeting spaces that, that children were, that they were, uh, were hurting them, they were, they were lashing out, they were behaving in a way that, uh, that showed that there were, were some concerns, and concerns for adult physical safety, concerns, for, concerns for, for student physical safety. And I had a conversation with our, our uh, teachers union president, uh, whom we, we met on a regular basis, and uh, because of that, uh, made sure that she became a part of our, uh, our cabinet, our superintendent's cabinet, so that when there are challenges, issues, or dare I say, celebrations, that we can all talk about it in one, one table space. In this case, there was a concern. And I invited through uh, a relationship that I established with an outside organization that focused on restorative practices, restorative justice and healing relationships uh, that you know, helping our adults to understand that if a student is exhibiting these behaviors, that we can take personal responsibility, certainly. We should not just only take this personally, that they were actually attacking or, or uh, trying to hurt me as an individual. Perhaps, you know, might we consider that perhaps they were trying to communicate something in a way that, that uh, simply was not uh, permissible, certainly we could not accept, but we had to teach, right? Uh, just as we do when a student doesn't know how to read or doesn't know how to, to compute, we teach. We don't necessarily punish or say, you know, we rid them from the class. And the longer story short, we actually had a three-day session. This is just the beginning of our ongoing uh, opportunity for restorative practices. And I actually spent a full weekend, uh, eight days, or excuse me, eight hours per, per day with teachers, with uh, principals, with paraeducators, and with our teachers union president to begin that conversation of what it was. And we all went through a restorative healing practice. We told our stories. We got real deep. and learned some, some things about one another that most people may not know. And it began that conversation, just twisting the, the perspective of this is not something that's done to me, 
by a young person. This is something that was done because of a need that this young person was not uh, yet had not been fulfilled. And how can I tap into, learn more about, create a safe space, literally and figuratively, by creating a stronger relationship between the student and me or others, so that this work, this teaching and learning, as we talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and I could not stress the importance if, if our students don't, don't know that we care or if they don't feel safe, uh, it's very hard for us to, to expect for them to learn and achieve at the levels that we expect. That's one example of many, Jeff, that, that, um, that really rings true when you, when you ask me about what, what have we done and what are the challenges that we've, we've uh, accepted. Uh, I, could not, I could not think of a, a, more, uh, just a, a more poignant example. You know, um, I'm, just, I'm just listening to you talk, Calvin, and uh, I'm jotting down notes along the way, and I think our, our listeners will be able to understand why. Last week, as we're circling up around tables, I thought and pulled you aside and said, hey, Calvin, would you do a podcast with me? Would you be kind of the first superintendent that I've had as a guest to do this? Because um, I, I really think, not you're thoughtful and reflective, but I was writing down, you're wise, you're brave, and most importantly, Calvin, I, I find you to be honest. And um, I really, really appreciate that. And just like you and I um, thought or predicted, we're gonna need to talk again, right? So there's no way we're gonna be able to finish efficiently and wrap this up because I, I still have some more questions for you, if that makes sense. I, I want to talk about um, what you have learned, what we have learned as it relates to culture, as it relates to nuance of serving in different places, almost very different and sometimes even contradictory places in this country. Because as you know, um, things are different based upon kind of where you're standing, whether it's one neighborhood or another or one state or another. So let's make sure our next conversation really dives deep into that. Does that make sense? It does, it does. So ladies and gentlemen, if um, I, I can only assume that you've appreciated listening to this conversation uh, that uh, in a way that, that I have. And so Calvin, I, I thank you for your time and I'm, I'm really looking forward to our next conversation, which is going to happen very soon. Well, Jeff, thank you. It goes without saying. This wouldn't have happened without uh, your leadership as well. I do look forward to sharing uh, our story in Kent School District and certainly uh, the leadership opportunities that I've been fortunate to, uh, to be a part of. So thank you again and I'll look forward to our next conversation for sure. Okay, absolutely. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, once again, I, we appreciate Dr. Watts being with us. Um, thank you for listening to Leading Education with Jeff Rose. I'm Jeff, and stay tuned for basically episode two with Calvin Watts, and uh, we'll be on the line again shortly. Take care.
Thanks for listening to Leading Education with Jeff Rose, hosted by Jason Pace and Jeff Rose, and recorded at Serendipity Labs in Alpharetta, Georgia. We are produced and edited by Carson Pace. Our theme music is by Full Year of Panic. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next week.